want to speak this morning from the first five verses of chapter one of Galatians with the sermon title of Deliverance from the World. Deliverance from the World. I'll just repeat those first five verses. Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. And all the brethren which are with me unto the churches of Galatia. Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world, according to the will of God and our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Most of us will know that this letter to the Galatians was written um, to challenge false teaching by Judaizers. Um, At the heart of this false teaching was their insistence that to be a good Christian meant that you had to be a good Jew first. Uh, And if this was true, then this meant that salvation was not only by faith and not only through faith, but faith plus other things such as circumcision and some aspects at at least of other Jewish law-keeping. No doubt that's an oversimplification of what was going on, but it'll do for us this morning. But whatever the degree of the false teaching, Paul considered this to be an attack to the very heart of the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And his method of dealing with this false teaching here, which was, it was his method with all false teaching, was to give an account of what the true gospel is and to give an account of what true saving faith is. The epistle to the Galatians, of course, was particularly important during the Reformation. Martin Luther, Martin Luther called the epistle to the Galatians his uh, Catherine von, von Bora, who was the name of his wife. He said this because I am married to this epistle. Um, he considered this epistle to the Galatians to be foundational, to contain foundational doctrine for the Christian church. In his commentary on Galatians, Luther wrote, If this doctrine be lost, then is also the doctrine of truth, life and salvation also lost and gone. So these verses today contain both Paul's greeting to the Galatian churches, but it immediately sets out some of the fundamentals that he is going to expand on throughout the epistle. Fundamentals of the gospel. Matters were so urgent here in these churches that uh, his salutation is unusually brief um, and he gets straight to the point and immediately sets out in the form of a summary all those fundamental aspects of the gospel which he will expound upon 
in more detail in the rest of the epistle. The best way, and we, we believe in this church anyway, that the best way to combat false teaching about the gospel is to regularly preach the true gospel. And that was Paul's method here in Galatians. If Paul knew that the very gospel itself was at issue, then these introductory remarks summarise the contents, as I say, of the epistle, and therefore it behoves us today to take to pay very great attention to these five verses. And that's really what all we're going to do, very simply, is to walk through what is in these verses. Of course, the, uh, the first word of the first verse strikes you straight away. Paul or Paulus. A very common Roman name. But perhaps the most amazing word in this whole epistle Maybe the most amazing word or name in all of the epistles, Paul, previously known as Saul. That was his Jewish name, Saul. His Roman name was Paulus. In all the world, there was no one who was less likely to have become a Christian. And in all the world, there was no one less likely to have become a Christian leader than Paul. Paul. We read it here, didn't we, in our reading how in the times past, verse 13, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and and wasted it. He killed hundreds, perhaps thousands of Christians and imprisoned the same. But the Lord utterly changed his life and made him a trophy of grace. And Paul, we can make a sermon out of that. If Paul can be saved, then you can be saved. Because I'm telling you, it's very unlikely that that your sins were greater or are greater than Paul's. He was attacking the very apple of God's eye, his, his people. He was killing them, wasting them. And yet this man, Paul, sinner as he was, was saved by grace. And then immediately we come to one of the fundamental things that Paul sets out in opposition to these false teachers and by implication to all false teachers, including today. Let me put it this way. Why should we take any notice of what this man Paul says? Why should they have taken any notice? Particularly with his track record of being a a persecutor of Christians. Why should anyone take any notice of anything that this man said or wrote? Well we have it here in verse 1. Paul an apostle. Not of men, neither by man but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. He sets out immediately a fundamental thing, his credentials as an apostle. 
And he, he, of course, in the rest of chapter 1 and verse and chapter 2, he expands on his credentials. But in summary, he claims the unique authority of an apostle. Paul is claiming the same authority to preach and to teach and to work miracles as those 12 disciples that the Lord Jesus appointed when he was here upon the earth. Jesus said to the 12 in Matthew 10, 40, He that receiveth you receiveth me, and he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. So an, an apostle in that sense, in that particular sense, is reserved for those in the New Testament, for those individuals in the New Testament who had both seen the risen Christ and had been directly ordained or commissioned from the risen Christ to preach, to write scripture, to work miracles. We read in Acts Acts 1 verse 22, when they were trying to appoint a new apostle, Judas having been uh, committed suicide, it says, one must be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. And Paul claims this authority as as an apostle. In 1 Corinthians 15.8, and last of all, he was seen of me also as one born out of due time. This is very important why I'm going through this because why is Paul qualified to set out the foundations of the Christian faith? His answer, because I was not merely ordained by men, not merely ordained by the church, but I was ordained or commissioned from the risen Christ and from the Father who raised him. Which means that if anyone disagrees with anything that Paul says, if anyone disagrees with anything Paul wrote, in the slightest degree, then they are not opposing Paul. They are opposing Christ. They are opposing God. Not that Paul was God. But he had the same authority as those apostles that were commissioned he that receiveth you receiveth me and he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me that is why you and I should be listening today to these words not because I'm saying them I'm nothing but because these are from the pen or really from the lips of an apostle The Apostle Paul, who was directly and divinely ordained to write scripture, to write authoritative scripture binding upon all men and and binding upon the church. The Father authenticates the words and the work of the Son by raising Christ from the dead and the risen Christ commissions certain apostles 
in the New Testament to speak in his name with the same authority as Christ himself in precisely the same way as the prophets in the Old Testament were commissioned and ordained to speak the very oracles of God. So what we're, these verses, and I'm only looking at five, we need to treat these verses as from the mouth of Christ because they are from the mouth of a man directly appointed to speak on Christ's behalf. Paul in verse 2 makes it known that uh, this letter um, is endorsed by the brethren that are with, with him. Verse 2, and all the brethren which are with me unto the churches of Galatia. We won't say much about this, but Paul often seemed to have a band of brothers with him, a travelling band. We don't know who these people are in, in Galatians. Um, more, we won't go into it now, but it's noteworthy that uh, some people aren't mentioned. So we really don't know who these people are with him, these brethren, at this point. But even Paul, the apostle, thought it was good not to be alone in Christian service. In verse 2 also, the recipients of the letter are named. Unto the churches of Galatia. Galatia was a region, a Roman province, not a single city. And this letter is addressed not to a single church, but to churches in that Roman province, churches plural, either in southern Galatia or northern Galatia. There's a big debate over that. We don't really know. But roughly speaking, corresponding to um, modern day Turkey. And this false teaching had spread like, like, a, like an infection throughout these churches in, in this area. False teachings like that, I, I, I don't like, I, I hesitate to raise the COVID word, but let, you know, we'll think of another, another infection if you like. But an infection can set in and it can spread. And that is what was happening. False teaching can be like that. And this, this is Paul's audience. These ecclesiae, the called out ones, those who had been separated from the world into these communities, these churches, these ecclesia, the church. There were local churches often meeting in a, in a larger house, always under the local leadership of elders and served by deacons, but they were individual churches, but they were not independent from each other. They were codependent upon one another. Because Paul speaks to them with one voice and, and expects a common response. This is a false teaching which is spread to all of you. And we need to, you know, we need to be careful when we see these signs, independent church, the here and ind we're not independent in that sense. We're the church of the living God. We're churches together in Christ. In verses 3 to 5, then, having explained his audience and his credentials, in verses 3 to 5 we come to the main 
uh, element of this sermon. Paul, in this apostolic greeting, in this salutation, summarizes what the apostles had been commissioned to preach. Paul, in particular, what was he commissioned by the risen Christ to proclaim? Well, we have it here, don't we? The whole gospel summarized almost like a like a sermon title or a sermon introduction just compressed and then he will expand on it later through the epistle so Paul's summary of the gospel and we'll just go through it quickly and then go go over it again a little more slowly Paul's summary of the gospel is here that grace and peace Verse 3 to 5, that grace and peace is offered to sinful people like the Galatians. And that the reason that this can be offered freely is on the basis of Christ giving himself for our sins. And this giving of himself upon the cross has delivered us, it says, from this evil world. And this sacrifice and deliverance was all achieved according to God's will and plan. Verse 5, because of all of this, being God's purpose and will, all the glory goes to him. To summarise, grace to us leads to glory to God. So let's look at that again. Verse 3, grace be to you. And peace from God our Father. Grace and peace is coming to you, Galatians, from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. What is grace? This charise. Well, we, we haven't time to go into it in any detail. But in this context, it means God's favour towards sinners in Christ. Unmerited undeserved favour towards you and I through Jesus Christ. God giving us the very opposite of what we deserve through our behaviour and through our nature. It's God adopting a disposition towards us which is gracious and loving and favourable. That's the main meaning. In other contexts it can mean God's uh, grace can mean God's power working in us to change us. Sometimes grace being sufficient for us when we're going through suffering and a kind of infusion of, of grace. But both, whether you take it in either way, it all comes to us from God the Father and from his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ, the triune God. Grace comes to us through the gospel. That's why it's called the gospel of God's grace. And not only grace, but verse 3 adds grace and peace. This arene, this peace, similar to the Hebrew shalom physical and spiritual well-being but but in Pauline theology 
specifically peace experienced by a sinner when that alienation between the sinner and God is removed and there comes in its place peace with God. And these blessings through the cross and through the new birth, the source of these blessings is the Trinity. And that is what is offered to you and I, to sinners, to to, to all who will receive. This is what is offered through the gospel. Grace, the favour of God, undeserved as it is, and peace with God. That's all you need in life is to be under the favour of God and in the peace of God. They really really go together. I I have peace with God because I'm under the favour of God. And and I'm under the favour of God because my relationship with God has been restored. And, And legally I am right with God. I am justified by faith. And the Apostle Paul is laying out these things as foundational. These are, as, as I say, they're just in, an introduction, but they are. The job of the Apostle was to lay the foundations, and he's laying them here. The source of this grace and peace, he says, um, is found in two places verse 1 and verse 4. The source of this grace and peace is as a result of two particular actions. The first action is by God the Father, which is we read of in verse 1, who raised him, that's Jesus, from the dead. You and I have grace and peace as a result of the Father raising Jesus from the dead in the first place. Without the resurrection, this gospel, this Bible, would have no credibility. It would have no authority. Without the resurrection, we, can, we could ignore every, everything about this Bible. But because Christ is risen from the dead, Paul says in Romans 1, he was, Jesus was declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead the resurrection proves and and, in a way announces to the world that Jesus Christ really is the son of God and if Jesus is the son of God then every single word that he says is authoritative that's the first source of this grace and peace secondly the source of this grace and peace is as a result of a particular action from the son of god which we read of in verse 4 who gave himself for our sins who gave himself for our sins is only because jesus died to bear the penalty of my sins that Paul can offer this grace and peace 
This self-sacrifice of Christ upon the cross for our sins is the heart of the gospel. It's the heart of Galatians. It's the heart of the New Testament. And he emphasizes in this epistle that this giving of Christ of himself is sufficient for salvation. It's completely sufficient. Nothing needs to be added. As soon as you add anything to the gospel, to this free gift, to this free offer of salvation, Paul is saying it ceases to be the real gospel. Christ gave himself. He gave all that he had to give. We read in Philippians 2 how he he took on this mind, this attitude of a servant where he put our needs, our need of salvation, he put to the front of his mind and he put his position as God, all his his credentials, all his, his authority, his position in heaven, he put to the back of his mind. He didn't, he didn't um, lose any of his divinity, but he veiled his divinity, veiled in flesh the Godhead. See, he took on the form of a servant, and he took on the attitude of a servant, so that he could save you and me. And he gave himself, he gave all of himself to save Sinners. That's the gospel. And he did this for our sins. He did this, in other words, to deal with the fundamental problem of the human condition. And it's if you're not a Christian today, it's your fundamental problem. Whatever other problems you have, and I'm sure you have many, that's your main problem if you're not a Christian is the problem of sin. By nature we are sinners full of sin. What is sin? Well, the Westminster Shorter Catechism defines sin as want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. The root of our troubles is not... uh, personality problems it's not the poor parenting that we had I mean, it doesn't help but that's not the source of it if we had poor parenting I had very good parenting thank the Lord but many don't it's not other environmental factors such as poverty it's not an economic problem is lack of conformity to God's law. That's our fundamental problem. The, the fundamental rottenness of the human life is this transgression of the law of God and lack of conformity to it. And this renders us guilty before God. It really does. It renders us guilty and unclean and vile before God. That's what the Bible sets out. And therefore we have a bad record with God. You know, our credit reference with God is minus. We're not going to be lent any money at all. 
We have a bad record with God and we have a bad heart. We're guilty and we're impure. We're polluted. And Jesus Christ, the gospel says, came to rectify, to correct, to put right those two problems in your life. If you want, if you want those things to be put right. I mean, I don't know why you wouldn't, but that's why Christ came. This is the gospel. He's, he's come to, to put your record right with God and he's come to make you clean in the sight of God. That is the gospel which Paul is defending. And you know, that's why this gospel is such great news. Such good news. And it's as true today as it has ever been. And because it's Paul writing this, because it's a real apostle writing this, these words are the very breathed out words of God, the theonoustos, the, the breath of God to us. I wish I could get you to, to, to really see that. It's, this, it's almost the same as if Jesus was here speaking it himself. It's, it's, it's his words here. When we read this Bible, we're reading the words of Christ. We, we feel his breath almost on our faces as we read it. I mean, is that how you read the Bible? Understand the Bible. It's God speaking to me in my life. This is a free offer of the gospel to you today. Not on the basis of human merit, the Apostle Paul teaches. Not on the basis of anything else, but on the basis of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I repeat, if Paul can be forgiven, then you can. Because boy, was Paul in trouble with the Lord. And we're all in trouble with the Lord, but outside of Christ, but... I'm not saying, well I am saying first of all, and, and listen to this please, if you're, if, you're, if you're not sure you're a Christian yet today, listen to this, whatever you have done in your life, and I don't, I, I don't exclude anything, whatever you have done in your life can be forgiven in the gospel. No matter how dark, how shameful, it can be forgiven. I mean, there are some things where the courts might not forgive you. You may still have to go to prison or pay a fine. But a greater judge and a greater court will forgive you. The supreme judge and governor of the world can set you free and say not guilty. Dear friends, this is a wonderful gospel. There's nothing so dark or shameful in your life that the power of the blood of Christ cannot cover or wash away. Do we really believe that? Do we believe it for ourselves and do we believe it for others? 
When we look at people acting as they do, do we think, well, that, no, there's no way they could ever be saved as they come? And then, rushing on in verse 4, continuing in verse 4, Paul then emphasises and lays out another great fundamental of the gospel. He emphasises that this he emphasises that as a result of the work and the giving of Christ for the world we can be delivered from this present evil world. There's a great result of the work of Christ both in terms of of our sin but also deliverance, freedom from the bondage of this world this present evil world and the Galatians Paul is implying by desiring to return to legal bondage are renouncing the great deliverance which Christ has achieved for them one of the purposes and the results of the cross is to deliver you and I from this present evil world. This implies, as the scripture overtly states, that by nature sinful man is in bondage to this eon or this age, or this world. It's actually not cosmos here, but eon, this age, this present evil time. And this present evil world or age is temporary. It's present now. It's only present. Implying that it doesn't really have a future. It it will not be permanent. And it's also evil. It's temporary and it's evil. And this world is under the power of the evil one. The ruler of the darkness. So if you are in bondage to this world, dear friend, you are in bondage to the ruler of this age, which is Satan himself. I would not want to be there. I was there. Didn't realise I was there. But you do not want to be under the bondage of Satan. Christ's death is the means by which People are delivered and set free from this evil world system which is evil, it's rotten to the core and it's going to be destroyed. And your mind, your very personality, the way you think, your mentality, you don't don't realise it at the time but you're you're dominated like a slave in chains to a particular world system and a, and a way of framing things, a philosophy, and it dominates your life. And Jesus Christ can set you free from this present evil world. The Christian is transferred from the sphere of Satan's power to the kingdom of God's power. And while still living in this world, the Christian already enjoys the life 
of the age to come. The new creation. The new heavens and the new earth. The final state of things. Is already inaugurated for the Christian now in this life. The new heavens and the new earth somehow reach into this present time and and when you become a Christian you're translated out of this present evil world and you're transferred or transported almost into the new age, the age to come which has already been triggered, inaugurated, initiated. Is initiated through the new birth. New creatures are already being made, spiritually speaking, now. One day, they'll be given a new body too. And they'll be given a new environment, the new heavens and the new earth. But that new world is already breaking in. It's broken in. And we're already being made new creatures, spiritually, through the new birth. And one day, our new natures will be married to a new body. Fitted for the environment of the eternal state. The new heavens and the new earth. So therefore the Christian is living in this tension of the already and the not yet. The already, that which is break, has broken in now. And, but we also have the hope of that which we have not yet received. But we know will be guaranteed because we've been given the deposit, the guarantee of the Holy Spirit. And that is why Paul could speak as he did about this world. In chapter 6 of Galatians verse 14 he says, But God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world have you been delivered from this world dear friend or are you still held in bondage by it are you free from this world system that is rotten I repeat is is rotten to the core and it's on its way to destruction but Christ is the result of the cross For you can be that you can be delivered, set free and translated into the kingdom of God. Paul speaks of this in Colossians 1.13. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Dear friends, do you know this life, this freedom, this salvation? In closing, we read that it was all according to the will of God and our Father. The end of verse 4. This puts a lie to the... I've heard it almost implied, if not overtly stated, that... God the Father is some kind of unwilling partner in salvation that it's really the Son that does the loving and, and God almost only loves, only loves us because um, he reluctantly you know, went along with what the Son wanted to do but you know the love of 
that drew salvation's plan was the love of the Father in full agreement with the Son. The Son gave himself and the Father sent the Son. In Reformed theology it's called the covenant of redemption, a mysterious teaching in the Bible, not fleshed out by any means, but this agreement before there was such a thing as time where within the persons of the Trinity there was a covenant made that there was a covenant made that in the course of time the Lord Jesus Christ would be sent into the world to be the saviour of the world dear friends all this is according to the will of God and our Father And because of this, verse 5, all the glory goes to him. To whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. God made a plan. Grace to you and glory to God. His plan works. It works today. It can work for you. But you have to come to him. It has to become personal, as it did for the Apostle Paul. I am crucified with Christ, 2.20 of Galatians. Nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Can you say that? Do you know that in your heart, that assurance of faith? The Son of God loves you and gave himself for you. That's the gospel, dear friends, which Paul, the apostle, defends to the death in this epistle. Let us never grow tired of this gospel and defend it from all its enemies. Amen. Feel free to contact us at Sovereign Grace Church in Tiverton. Email us at grace2seekers at gmail.com. That's grace2seekers at gmail.com. Alternatively, you can visit our website at www.sovereigngracereformedchurch.co.uk.